All right, so I can kick us off um, and, and people join in. Um, but um, we're very, uh, I'm very excited um, as the co-founder of LookUp um, to try out this new sort of model for an event where um, it is a live podcast uh, interview so that um, you know, it's it's more about sharing the podcast afterwards, but it's wonderful um, to have uh, all of you in the audience, and I think some other people will be joining in, um, and I'd love to take this opportunity to introduce you to Sam Carpenter, who is LookUp's Executive Director here. Um, we are 12 minutes apart, um, so we get to work in person, and we actually went to an All Tech is Human uh mixer in the city last night. Uh, David Jay was there. So who is one of our, you know, wonderful youth mobilizers. So, um, you know, w- while it's wonderful to be able to have these um, events, being able to balance it, it, get back to that in-person world um, has been really exciting. So Sam, and I'll let you tell them about USC. I got the the note that I'm muted. So I'm Sam Carpenter. Uh, I have had the privilege of being LookUp's executive director since January 3rd. So I'm just rounding out the end of my fourth month, which which is really incredible. Um, I've gotten to talk to Calista and Giovanni, who I will introduce in just a moment. Um, But what Susan is mentioning uh, at USC, we actually just got back from Los Angeles yesterday, where we spent time with one of our innovator teams, which is one of the teams that we support with a grant and mentorship uh, workshop, other kinds of programmatic support as they take their digital um, health and safety innovations kind of out into the world. And so down at USC, that looked like a tech for good symposium. Um, It was actually completely organized by first years. We had tons of older students coming in telling us how proud they were and the younger um, organizers telling us how excited they were that this was their inaugural year. They had, um, you know, it was kind of the friends supporting friends, but talking about all these different ways that technology can be used for good Um, and also how to sort of mitigate harms that might happen, sort of mindless scrolling or feeling disconnected. Um, Some of the students were working on research projects. It was just really, really cool. We have a recording of it that we will share out um, and some really fun pictures, you know, the selfies of the whole team with like half of the face smiling, everything like that. So it's really fun to go there and just a great energy um, in a week that also includes today's event, which is a pod live podcast recording, which I'm so thrilled to introduce. Um, Calista and I got to talk, what was it? It was probably six, eight weeks ago for the first time. I started following her on TikTok and um, just getting to learn from her own sort of experience. So Calista, correct me if my... If, if I know this is such a dynamic number, but over 100 million views, um, over 500,000 followers online, and your content sort of focusing on navigating your life in, in your 20s, which I know we had talked about when we met before, but also really sh- sort of shedding light on uh, mental health struggles and the ways that you move through that as a young woman. Um, so I know you're going to talk to Shivani about that, but are those numbers right? Because I am always flabbergasted how quickly those change. <laughs> No, they're right. <laughs> they're right. Yeah. It's, I don't know if you change, but it's, yeah, that's the right number. <laughs> amazing. It's a huge platform and, um, and conveying just really important issues for, for people who may struggle or may feel like they're alone in their journey. And I think really creating that community um, is something that I noticed when I watch your TikToks. Um, I'm really excited to hear you and Shivani talk. Shivani is one of our incredible YLC members. Um, she is a mover and a shaker. And I'm I'm really excited that, Shivani, that you're here today. So Shivani is the Director of Programs and Partnerships for our Youth Leadership Council. Um, she has done a number of, of initiatives, including uh, a couple of podcasts, the most the most recent one that you have launched is called Gen Z's Digital Decalogue, which is 
what we are recording a, a um, session of today. And this is all around sort of spreading the impact of the movement. Um, Shivani is also a strong advocate for digital and financial literacy. So with that, um, Shivani, Callista, I'll leave it to you all. I'm going to mute myself because I hear my cat in the background and that's not what you want in the podcast. But Shivani, Callista, just let me know if you need tech support in the back um, to help you with the recording. Sure. Thank you so much, Sam. Um, and it's wonderful to be here and chatting with all of you guys. And it's wonderful to meet you too, Callista. I am very excited to discuss with you how your platform works and how you kind of use that to advocate for something you so deeply care about. Um, just to get things kicked off, um, I'd love to start off by asking you what really motivated you to pursue content creation? Just content creation in general or like mm -hmm. mental health books? Okay. Yeah. So first off, thank you for interviewing me and taking the time today. Um, I think for me, so I started creating content when I was 14. Um, I was homeschooled growing up because I had juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. So just the combination of the two, it's not easy to make friends when you're that young because you can't go to soccer practice. You can't do things like that. So I was spending my childhood like in the hospital getting chemo for my JRA. So just with that whole and then like the homeschool, I just didn't have like hobbies, I guess, or like after school activities. So I started making videos online as a way to make friends and community. And I just kind of fell in love with it and never stopped. And now it's my full time career. That's awesome. And you mentioned that a lot of your content primarily focuses on how you navigate your 20s and how you shine light upon mental health struggles. And so I'd love to hear about the evolution of your content. So you said you started when you were 14. So how has what you've created changed over the course of the past few years? Yeah. So, I mean, I think anyone you talk to that makes content, they're going to tell you that you have to stay relevant. Um, and for me, that term has always been kind of difficult because I want to be myself. I don't really want to be, you know, relevant. I just wanted to be myself. So for a while I would make these like viral videos and I would do really well, but there was no meaning to my content. So I think at a point I decided, you know, I'm doing really well, but I'm not myself and I'm not creating anything with meaning. So does this really have meaning or substance to it at the end of the day. And, um, you know, at the time I was 19 and I just finished my first outpatient program at UCLA for OCD. Um, I was there for three months. I was supposed to be there for six weeks. I was there for three months and taking a break from my social media. I didn't know if I could jump into it and act like everything was fine when everything wasn't fine. And I had just gone through this major life change. So from there, um, I really started focusing on mental health advocacy because A, I, I didn't really see anyone doing it. And I feel like for me, I just... I felt so alone. Like my major thing when I went into my program was I was like, no one deals with this. Like I am so alone. And once you start having that conversation, like it's really like less isolating, I find. And I think, you know, it's kind of difficult to be like, well, I put everything online, but I'm finding this community because I feel so accepted when I put it out there. I, I find people that deal with the same intrusive thoughts. I find people that deal with the same tendencies and stuff. So I think for me, that's the biggest thing is like, I, I'm sure we'll get into it, but social media can be so negative that I want to make it a positive. Yeah, I think it's a great way to think about it. Um, and honestly, I kind of agree with you on a lot of those things. When I think of TikTok, the first thing I think of is like um, the dances that Charlie D'Amelio does. That's the first thing that <laughs> pops into my mind. Uh, I'll be very honest with you. And I think I've never done a dance in my life. So. <laughs> yeah, I feel like that connotation kind of sticks to me. Um, I personally have never used TikTok. Um, I kind of use my friend's account to maybe stalk you online before this. But <laughs> it was it was definitely really interesting to hear your TikToks and to to see how you connect with your audience. Um, and it's very easy, I think, to paint TikTok as a villain when there are so many niches on TikTok that are very beneficial. Like um, I use Instagram, and so Instagram Reels is I think somewhat comparable to TikTok. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. And looking at that, I like to look at a lot of those personal finance videos, um, and I love to to look at some of those reels that I think add some value to me or help me feel part of the community um, where sometimes we'll just bicker in a group chat with should we buy this stock should we sell this or what's up with crypto and I love the idea of finding community within social media and do yeah you think there's, yeah go for it 
Well, no, I mean, I totally agree. And like, even for me, like on a lesser scale, like when I was 14, I met my very best friend to this day on Twitter. Like, and I think like for a lot of people, that's so weird, but like, we've never lived in the same city. We've never lived in the same state, but yet we always are like flying to see each other. And like, we're 23 now and we're still best friends and our boyfriends are best friends because we've stayed in touch and we found community on Twitter through like things we liked. So I just, I think it's kind of like the new wave to find community. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree. I think there are definitely some friends that I've made um, with people who just like swiped up on my story. Uh, I love this song too. And then all of a sudden there's this discussion on like what kind of music we like, which is Mm -hmm. an interesting way I find that this generation connects with one another and builds friendship. Yeah, music is a very big thing (laughs) to connect people. (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, And kind of related to the idea of building community, how has your online presence grown or evolved um, since you've begun creating content? Since, sorry, you cut out at the very end. Oh, my bad. Um, I said, like, how has your online presence grown since you began creating content? Yeah, um, I would say that's a very interesting question because I've been doing this for so long. If I start with just TikTok, I think when I first started TikTok, it was a lot less production. I was just kind of doing like those really fun, like, like trendy sounds. And like, I, I, I've never done a dance in my life, but it was just like, you know, like it would be like a sound and like a funny quote or something. And I think once I started kind of gaining an audience, like I said, I really wanted there to be like value behind it. And I realized that TikTok was the new way to like get your story out there. And I thought that I had a really valuable story to share because my OCD being so, I mean, my OCD was horrible. (laughs) Like, I don't know like how to, I guess, convey that, but it was very bad. Like I was mute. Like I wasn't talking. I was staring at a wall every day. Like I couldn't drive my car. I had lost my job. I was evicted. Like I literally had nothing at that point. And I thought I had a valuable story to share. And I think for me, I just wanted to show like how you can be 20 and like almost be rebuilding your life when it hasn't even started. Cause I had been really successful when I was younger, but I had everything fall up fall under me, I would say, because of my OCD at the time. So I just kind of wanted to show that like you can rebuild things and um, do that in like a fun, creative way. Because I feel like it is my truth. So no one can tell me how to like convey my story, you know? And I think that's also just a hard thing because sometimes people will be like, oh, well, how are you like laughing? And I'm like, well, you know, I use comedy to deal with it some days. Like not everything is so dark, dreary and hard when like this is my everyday life. So hope that answered your question. (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely did. And I think it's great how you were able to sort of grow personally through um, social media and really build that for yourself, which is amazing. Um, Kind of related to that, we talked a lot about how social media really helped and helps people share their stories, their ideas, and it helps them build community. On Mm -hmm. the other side of it, there's also this stigma with social media that it does have a negative impact on many people's mental health. I would love to hear your thoughts on some of those negatives. Yeah, I mean, I think for a really long time, social media negatively impacted me. If you go back down, scroll my Instagram, I don't recommend it. Um, I had an eating disorder um, when I was going through my OCD. And so long story short, I feel like when I was scrolling through Instagram, I was living in Los Angeles. Everybody, you know, like my therapist loved to say that LA is just like a glorified eating disorder culture. Um, and I, I kind of believe that controversial, but, um, I just, I think that, you know, people need to be really conscious about the content they're putting out there because it was really harmful to me as a young child. And I think for me, like I vow not to facetune my pictures. I don't edit them. I don't like whiten my teeth. I don't take in my waist, but there was like a point where I did and I highly edited everything. And I think like, I just see the effects it had on me, not even like personally, but then I had little like girls DMing me being like, well, you know, I used to look up to you because I wanted to look like you. And now I look up to you because I really like the message you have. Cause I was not happy when I like, you know, was doing all that stuff. I was looking for validation and I just was unhappy myself. Um, so I think there's a lot of negative effects and I just, I don't want to be contributing to that anymore. I don't want to be, you know, letting that narrative keep going when I I have a platform to stop it. Well, I think it's great that you use your platform to advocate and like to teach people about things like that, which is really awesome. Um, When I think of social media and some of those negatives as well, um, the first thing that does come to my mind is insecurity, especially as a teenage girl. I feel like that's something that we see 
all the time. It's, uh, I remember when I first got Instagram, which was like in the beginning of high school, and I <laughs> got Instagram at first. And so we were in here and we we're scrolling around. And I, I had this initial assumption as a 14 year old girl that, hey, you know, this is what people are like in real life. I watched those videos of people who worked for like 24 hours a day and who worked out every day and had all of these wonderful, incredible traits so that they sort of envisioned, they, they kind of put that vision in me that, hey, they're doing this every single day. This is what their lives are like. And I think ultimately those perfect days are very much one in many for us. It's like one of those days out of the maybe seven days in the week, maybe we have one of those days that are so perfect. And I kind of assumed that was how your day was supposed to be every single day. And so sort of nitpicking parts of myself, should I up my productivity? Should I work out more? Should I do this? And should I do that? And as a 14 year old girl, that was a lot of pressure, I feel like. Um, and as I got older, surprisingly, it was slow to me that this is actually not like possible for me to study 12 hours a day and for me to look like this every day. And that was kind of a reality check as well. Okay, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll record and then maybe that'll help her. Okay. Um, I think what we can do while Shivani gets back on, I know we have quite a crowd and one person said they were gonna have to leave at 1230. So, I'll take a pause for some questions. Calista, is that okay? If, if you you wanna field a couple of questions while we wait for Shivani to come back in? Yes. So feel free to unmute yourself. I know this is a little, we didn't do the regular, you know, get your questions ready. So pop in and, and please ask while we have Calista. Yeah, I have a question. So I actually run a company called sustainablelife.live. So I've been in the health and wellness space for, 38 years. Um, and unfortunately, the rise in ED among my clients, in particular, my high school age clients is, it's actually staggering to me. Um, and if people don't know, ED is not just anorexia, it is both bulimia, um, cycle dieting, binge eating disorders. Um, and I think the thing where you know, I, I have a presence on social media, um, but unfortunately when I'm doing client intakes, a lot of the resources, I'm using air quotes, they're getting in particular from TikTok and Instagram are pro-Anna websites, binge eating websites. They're actually pointing self-harm websites. So they're actually being pointed in directions where there the community is people that are advocating for you know these disorders or self-harm um so and i actually find that it takes them longer to kind of get out of the cycle so i think that that's one of the things that's hard um you know particularly with you know micro and macro influencers on social media you know who, who's vetted and who's the real information coming from and where's you know the resources and the science and I, I believe in community and I believe that hearing somebody's story can put you on a journey to you know to your own end I believe that from the bottom of my heart because my story while not your story has a lot of similarities um, mm -hmm. and I believe that my story adds value um, but that's where I start to struggle um, in particular with social media. So maybe if you could just address that. I don't know if there's a question in there. Maybe it's just a bunch <laughs> of No, yeah, I, I think that's really valid. So I connected with um, the International OCD Foundation because I told them, I was like, I'm getting a lot of kids that want advice and feedback. But like, I'm like, at the end of the day, like I dropped out of high school because of my disorder. Like I even high school degree. And I was like, how can I sit here and like, tell them what to do. And then it also comes down to like the legality of it. And like, you don't want to put somebody in the wrong place. And so I think I had a conversation with two of their like vetted advocates and like the one woman is a psychiatrist and the other guy is the um, patient advocate. And they kind of taught me that I need to remember that I'm a patient and not a resource. And I think that was the biggest thing for me because this call happened maybe like a month ago, like moving forward is that 
I'm not here to tell you how to get help. I'm only here to share my story. And if you see similarities, it's fine, but you need to go to a professional and not to me. And it's hard because it's like, I never want to turn somebody down and like, I'll hear their story out. But all I can do is tell them, you know, this is like, if you're struggling with OCD, this is like the IOCDF, or if you're struggling with like the suicide hotline, like that's that. Um, but I can't, you know, I, I can't, tell you exactly what to do. I can only give you resources. And I think that call was really helpful because at that point I was really struggling because I didn't know where I stood. And I think having the psychiatrist tell me like, you're a patient advocate, you're not, you know, a doctor. And I think that was like very, I mean, like I, I wasn't trying to be a doctor, but you know, cause when you get, you want to help people, you want to help the kids. So it was really important to hear that. And I think now moving forward, that's my biggest thing is like, I am a patient and I'm not a doctor. Yeah, that was that was beautiful, by the way. So it's so funny. My favorite quote, and you can apply it to anything, is even if you're a psychiatrist, you're not my psychiatrist, right? Like yeah. you're a doctor, you're not my doctor. So yeah, um, that's one of the things when I took a step back because you know, again, in the space that I'm in, I was getting a lot of that. And sometimes, even with my degrees and my credentials, people are coming to me for information that I'm not qualified to give. So one of the things that on our website now, we are pointing people to some, you know, again, you know, suicide hotlines, you know, ED research, psychiatry, we have so much information and data on there for people. So if they are struggling, and that is where they happen to go, but what beautiful advice you got. Um, I, I love well, that. I that you're to talk to you about your resources, because that's what I I'm currently speaking to them about getting like a resource page on mine just because yeah, you should do I it like I just I don't I, I mean also like I don't want to be held accountable sure. or like you know what I I, I like I want to help yeah. but I also don't want to be yeah I don't know it's, yeah. a, it's a difficult place to be in for sure yeah I'll put mine in the chat box but that was a big thing for me so same thing is that this is my degree, this is my background, but here are other resources. So I'll throw that in there, but you should definitely do that. You're, that was so eloquent what you just said and you're gonna crush life. So congratulations. <laughs> Anne-Marie, thank you so much for such a, a thought provoking question. And I think Calista, that, that sort of self-preservation and humanity is, that's a complicated relationship to, um, that's a complicated line to sort of straddle, but it does sound like you're thinking about it. And I just saw Anne-Marie put her uh, in the chat for everybody, the, the resources. So we can definitely check that out. Shivani, welcome back. Um, welcome. I'm gonna hand it back to you so you can continue with that incredible question. We were all invested in it. So <laughs> please pick up where you left off. Sure, sure, of course. So before I got cut off, I think I was talking a little bit about how social media, we we're having a conversation on how social media can really feed upon young people's insecurities in small ways on very big ways, leading from anything to like just among some individuals to like eating disorders and depression and suicidal thoughts. And so I guess my question is to you, Calista, is how can young people engage with social media in a way developing healthier relationships with? Yeah, so I think the trend you were referring to was the that girl trend. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong. Um, I've gone on a major rants about how toxic that is. Cause even as an influencer where my technical job, because at the end of the day, like I was an influencer before I talked about my mental health was, you know, supposedly like, so when you look at somebody who has a job, that's not an influencer and you look at an influencer an influencer has all the time in the world to get those products. Cause they're sent to them to go work out because that's their job. Right. And you can't really compare to that um, because it is an unrealistic lifestyle and I don't agree with it at all. Um, but I think for me, cause I've really had to put a lot of reservations on my social media because I put a lot out there and it really affects me some days and I'm like the influencer. Um, so I think, you know how you can block keywords. That's like a thing. So blocking words that aren't, you know, that are triggering to you. Like for me, I really can't look at like true crime that really, for some reason, triggers my harm OCD. I can't watch it. So I, I don't like, I, I block all that content out. Um, I've unfollowed. I used to follow a thousand people. I've all like 300 now because I've unfollowed anybody that makes me feel like they're inspo content and not actually like giving me value and making me like, like my life. Cause I think 
the person in me that had an eating disorder, um, she really wanted to follow like models as like inspo and constantly in their feed, um, to like show as inspo and it just, it's not good. So I think you really have to have those controls and time limits and also like getting outside and finding hobbies that aren't social media. I know this sounds so dumb, but I realized that I didn't have any hobbies anymore. And I find most of my friends don't either. We're all like always on Instagram and always like taking Instagram photos and all that. Now, if I go to the lake, like I don't take my phone because like there's no need to be on my phone, you know, and setting those boundaries is really big. Also, just from my standpoint, I don't have a lot of access to my own Instagram anymore. I actually have my parents monitor it because it can be so triggering to me now um, to read other people's opinions about my disorder or to read people say that I've gained weight or any of that. So I just, I don't read my comments now. Yeah. Interesting point. I feel like a lot of young people today are quite dependent upon their devices, just in any sort of social environment as well. Um, I think one of the main things that got me into digital well-being in high school was that I, I saw it I saw this attitude around TikTok and Instagram as almost a cult. It was very normal for us to be walking around the halls in school with, you know, AirPods in or with like earbuds in or with headphones on or um, at birthday parties, we just like make TikToks the whole time. And so that kind of evolved kind of, for me, it was a little because I think it changed the way we perceived um, the world and the way we perceived ourselves in terms of where we fit in and what it means to be a normal kid and to be engaging with our peers. And so that definitely changed up our culture a lot. Um, and how, how, do you, how, do you, how have you seen that affect um, Gen Z or millennials in general? I mean, I think even when I look at my little sister and how she's growing up compared to how I grew up is very different. And like, I always say, how old are you? Are you? Um, I just turned 18. Okay. Yeah. So I'm 23. And when I, and there's not a big age gap, but my sister's 16. And I feel like, you know, our generation as a whole is the first one to really be pioneering, like growing up on social media. So it's very weird to see the effects long-term. I'm very interested, but short-term just even like, I feel like I was at the very tail end of kind of still having like a real childhood that didn't you know, have like the internet fully involved. But my little sister, for example, everything she does gets posted every last thing. When she goes to sleepovers, they make TikToks, like you said. Um, when she like does her makeup, it's, you know, documented on Snapchat every day. Um, and it's just, I don't know where I feel like that digital well-being, I feel like we're still figuring it out, but I just don't know the long-term effects of how it's going to affect everybody. But I don't necessarily think if it's still going in the way it is in the way of like, let's edit everything. Let's make super curated, like artsy aesthetic montages. Like, I don't think that's good for anyone's mental health. Yeah. I mean, I totally agree with you. And I think sort of shifting a little bit into discussing like the career economy and like how the algorithm works, just thinking about it from that perspective. Um, do you think that platforms like TikTok almost purposefully or propagate like content that is designed almost to, to make people feel insecure or to people think? Because I feel like even before I set, set up my account, I just remember when I first got Instagram, I first clicked on the Explorer. I feel like the content that I was seeing there without having manipulated anything by giving them my data. Like, I think what they knew about me when I signed up was I was, a, I was 14. And on that information, my For You page was designed in a way that the first thing I saw was like pictures of girls at parties and stuff. Like that was the first thing that I really saw before I had even followed anyone. So well, how do you feel about the way that works with the algorithm? Yeah, well, Instagram, it came out like a month or two ago, and I think they were getting sued over it from what I recalled. I don't really remember the full story, but that their algorithm was in the favor of like making young girls feel bad about themselves. Um, so super interesting. I'm not really sure. I, I didn't read too much about it. I just knew they were getting sued. So, um, but what was the, you cut out at the end, sorry. Oh, my bad. My internet is a little spotty today. No, um, you're good. 
<laughs> I believe I asked what your thoughts were on how that algorithm like propagates that, or if you think it really does create around um, young people and how they should think about themselves. Well, I think, I mean, from what I understand is that, you know, the algorithm, well, let's just look at like human psychology, I guess. Like, I feel like what makes you get an emotion, right? Is like, let's see if you see that, that girl content, right? So let's say you're watching that. It makes you feel something. So you're going to like, like it, you're going to save it because you want it to like serve as like inspo content, right? So I think that's where the algorithm is rewarding that content because it makes you feel some sort of way. I don't necessarily know if it's doing it on purpose, but I do think because of the study that came out with Instagram, that was on purpose, but I don't know if you could say the same about TikTok yet, but I do think, cause there's a lot of controversial takes on if TikTok is like fat phobic, if they're racist, all of that, um, which I think would be really interesting to look into more because of how they're pushing out content and how it's mainly like thin white girls. Um, but again, like, I don't know the science behind that. No, yeah, I mean, I definitely agree. I think that when the small like interactions with different particular posts, it really does push that towards you. Even if you longer than the other, I feel like it's sometimes I will linger on things that I just don't like, but I will just linger on it just to finish watching it. And yeah, yeah, I think that really pushes that as well. Um, Jeffrey had a wonderful question in the chat out loud, Jeffrey, or you can maybe unmute would like. Sure, uh, I can uh, say it. So <laughs> basically, you know, I'm just kind of wondering uh, how you sort through what's empowering versus what's harmful. I mean, that seems like a critical thing for news as well as, you know, social media in general. Uh, do you have any guidelines that you figured out or, you know, a framework that you use, anything like that? Yeah, I think for me, when I when I'm sorting through content, there are certain things I don't put out there because I think it's harmful. Like, for example, specific when it comes to like me, I don't think I want to put out my specific um, rituals or my specific intrusive thoughts because I don't want that to affect a kid. Right. So I don't want to put those ideas in their head because for me, that would really mess me up when I was in the or the heart of my treatment. Right. So that's kind of where I bet out when I'm thinking of like, how far am I going to go? How far am I going to share? Um, when it comes to what's empowering, I think sharing my day-to-day -day life with OCD, since it is so severe. And then also I am bipolar, I'm manic depressive. So I think just sharing that you can live like a very normal, successful life because I am considered very successful in my realm of work. So I think showing that you can like still live a normal life and have these disorders is empowering. I think it's just about not sharing all of the, um, the, the very nitty gritty thoughts of it, right? Like, I don't want to go and show like a manic spending spree, or I don't want to go show like, you know, I think I'm going to jump off a cliff, like things like that. I don't want to talk about. And I think that's harmful, but I think just showing like, yeah, you can go grocery shopping, you can do your, um, exposure therapy. And that's going to like, maybe inspire somebody to do their exposure therapy. I think that's more empowering than harmful. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I think that's great. Thank you for the question. And thank you for your answer. Yes. Um, kind of related to that. I was curious as to how you balance your TikTok success with your personal life and needs, how you kind of sweet spot for managing both. Well, that was something I had to take a step back from. So I just got off of like almost a month break because I wasn't doing well. I was in a manic episode <laughs> for three months. I say that I laugh when I say that because that's how I, I deal with things. But um, I was in a manic episode for three months and I wasn't doing well. I was really getting a lot of backlash from my management and just like I was letting everything fall apart. And long story short, um, you know, I had to take a step back and realize that I can't sit here and like be an advocate for mental health if I'm not an advocate for myself first. So I really had to go and get the help I needed again, which was hard. It's not easy to go and like get that help. But I think for me, like I'm constantly in therapy now. I'm, you know, really following my medication. I'm not, um, I'm not constantly like reading DMs and reading comments. Like I said, I kind of gave that to my parents. I let my parents do it um, because that I find to be helpful for me because it is really hard to like 
yes, I post about like fashion and I post about beauty and I post about whatnot, but I do post about my mental health and like I can post about it, but it can be really triggering some days. I think that's where I, I let my parents at this point. I'm 23 and I let my parents do it. <laughs> no, there's no shame in that at all. I'm sorry you had to go through that. And I'm glad you're <laughs> sort of able to bounce back too with your content. Um, yeah, kind of related to that. How do you deal with trolls on people who may attack you for something that you say online? Um I don't, I really go off, which is not good. (laughs) I try, I try to approach everything with kindness. That's my, my big one. But sometimes I think towards the end of like that manic episode, when I got help for it, I was really like going off on comments and my parents didn't know why they were so triggering. Um, But I think, you know, sometimes like I'll see people who even like question the validity of my mental disorders. And I'm like, do you want me to pull out my records and like get them from the hospital? (laughs) I'm like, I have nothing to prove. Like I'm not gaining anything from sharing it. If anything, like it's kind of, it's hard because it's like, I don't know how much I want people in my personal life to know, but I like being an advocate because I see how much this affects me because I'm not the first person in my bloodline to have a mental disorder. Like co-occurring disorders are very big in my bloodline. And it's like, so I just want to be an advocate. So my kids don't feel the shame of even like talking about it. Cause some days, like even today, like there was a video I was going to post about like, um, just like my, um, bipolar disorder and talking about it a little bit. And I was just like, you know, I don't even know like how this is going to be perceived by people in my personal life. And that's where it's just, it draws a line where I'm like, it's, it's difficult. It's very difficult being an advocate and then also trying to decide how much you want to share. Oh, wait, did she pause? Hey, I'm sorry. Oh, real, real quick. I, I definitely heard what you said. I just got cut off in like the last sentence or so. Um, but yeah, I think that's, I think it's great how, I mean, how you're able to handle that, but at the same time, like I, I can totally understand how people would like come in and, oh, I'm sorry that you have to go through all those trolls. I mean, I'm just thinking about it from your perspective. Yeah. Like that's, I mean, to question the validity of your mental health is definitely a big attack, especially for someone who's gone through that. Well, yeah. I mean, I think anybody is going to, I mean, I've gotten questioned from people in my life personally, cause I'm, I feel like I'm pretty functioning, but I'm like, you don't see all the work I've put in throughout my whole life since I was 10 years old. But, um, I think it's just, it's hard. It's, it's hard. And I don't know. I just, I know I want to like advocate as a patient. I want to advocate. And I think like, just like stop the stigma because like, I know I'm not the last person in my general or not in my generation, but in my family to have a mental disorder. Like I know my kids could very well have one and therefore like, I want to leave the world better to them. Yeah. What are your thoughts on, I guess, mental health education, talking about mental health to younger children. I mean, there is this thing that I feel like goes around in a lot of communities that, oh, if you tell kids about mental health, you're you're putting the idea in their head. And I've heard that particular phrase being used a lot, putting the idea in their head. Um, And so I was wondering what you thought about things like that. Well, my parents feel very bad, but they thought that my OCD was learned from television when I was younger. So I feel bad even speaking about it, but they know I've mentioned it before on different interviews. Um, But yeah, my parents, when I was 10 years old and I was like, no, like I can't stop repeating things. They told me, they were like, you know, I think that you learned this on VH1. And I was like, what? And they were like, well, we had like that OCD show on in the background. And we like, think like, that's where you learned it. And, um, 23 now and it hasn't gone away. So I don't think I learned it from there. I think it's definitely like an interesting conversation. Like I, I see that, I guess it could be triggering, like putting that idea into a kid's head. Yes. But I also think that I think where it lies is maybe not getting super into the conversation of what exactly they are, but just stop referring to like, like for me, like when I, I know somebody that's schizophrenic, that's very close to me. And I've always heard of schizophrenia as something that is crazy. Right. So like maybe not using words like crazy, like crazy to me is such an offensive word. I don't like that word. Um, or even like looking at somebody that's bipolar as like two-sided, like, I'm not two-sided. I'm like euphoric and ma- or um, depressive. I'm not like 
you know, one minute I'm mean and the other I'm nice. So I think like really being careful about your play on words and also just not looking at people, like even just like the way I hear people talk to their kids, like about homeless people who clearly have mental disorders. They're like, oh, that's a crazy person. Like not using that terminology so young, I think would be like the biggest thing versus like teaching them the nitty and gritty about each, um, each disorder. Yeah, no, I agree. I think one word that I see used a lot around a lot by high schoolers is the word trauma. I'm traumatized by X, Y, Z event. And when people say that, I, I personally do not like to engage in that because do you know what trauma is? Because what you just said is not trauma. It's like, I remember one person after Will Smith at the Oscars, that was traumatized. You slapped um, on television. I don't know. It was kind of interesting to see how people very loosely use some of these terms without really understanding. Sam, I see your face and you're like, is she going to I know I'm, I'm watching her. I'm watching Shivani's internet go red, yellow, red. So <laughs> she, I bet she, I'm sure she's coming back on. Um, but I'll let her, I'll let her finish that thought. I think I'm going to echo what Theodora, what you said about language being so important, especially online, just to underscore that. I think, um, Calista, that was a really important distinction that you just made as you were talking about bipolar and, and how you talk to kids about it and, and learning that from so early on. Um, so I don't want to lose track of that. I'll, while Shivani gets reconnected, um, I'll open it up again for another question from our audience. If somebody, anybody has one, feel free, unmute yourself. Sam, I was, I was going to make a comment. Okay. Um, and, and I love the fact, um, Calista, that you and Shivani went in this, in this direction. I, um, I work for, for an organization called LineWise by Family Zone. Um, and the, the company essentially is involved with providing um, students with online safety solutions. And I'm in charge of the, the parent education within the organization. And um, I was recently writing an article on kids using TikTok to self-diagnose and self-treat mental health. Um, so this podcast is the perfect, um, the timing is, is kind of perfect, but mm-hmm. one of the, one of the things that I was researching was the trauma talk hashtag, um, mm-hmm. which at this point has, I think it's over 900 million views. Um, and I think just between February and April, they've been something like 300 million. Um, and I went through some of, some of those videos, um, just to kind of look at what the the content was about and, for the most part, a lot of what I was seeing was was mostly a kind of rehashing of the events that happened in these young people's lives. And I'm not really questioning whether they were or weren't traumatic because they were actually talking about some very heavy topics. I, I believe they absolutely were um, traumatic so much more than, you know, seeing on TV Will Smith getting or, or Will, Will Smith yeah. slapping somebody. Um, so I think I think one one side of the story is definitely kind of what what how are we using our language and how are we using terms that are as serious as trauma? So that's one thing. The other thing, though, um, and, and this is a question for you as well, because you're you're often sharing um, you're sharing events from your life for the purpose of advocacy, but I'm sure they're not easy things for you to share. Um, So one thing that I was wondering as I was looking at some of these videos where, you know, young people were talking about serious things, they were talking about um, child services coming in and parents being incarcerated, you know, all sorts of things like that. I was wondering how much that engagement um, that they have with with TikTok and creating these videos and talking about these stories over and over and over again is kind of re-traumatizing for them. Um, because you know, my, my background's in psychology and psychotherapy. And, and one of the things that we always say is that we don't want to re-traumatize our patients. Like you, you don't want to pick on your patient's past to the extent that you're constantly taking them back to the event kind of over and over and over again. And I was just wondering whether sharing this kind of stuff as a creator on TikTok and talking about it on a daily basis is potentially kind of sort of self-re-traumatizing. I'm just curious to know what you what you think about that. Um, no, I believe it is 100%, which is why I had to take a step back because mm. I um, when I started sharing my content and people started asking questions, I would answer them and I would share my story mm. and I would talk about it a lot. But then the issue became I was getting re-triggered and like I mm. was 
old mm. repetitions and I was doing, um, I was getting like intrusive thoughts and like, I was like, yeah. you know, I didn't come this far only to come this far <laughs> to put myself back for other people. And so right. that was like a really big thing as to why I had to take a break was because I was revisiting the past and not looking towards the future. And I think mm. that's also where I had to decide where I wanted to go with my advocacy journey. Cause like, yes, sharing mm. my initial story was really important, but I can't mm. re get myself to that point just to like, mm. let people know that it's like that severe OCD or that it's mm. okay be doing that stuff. Cause at the end of the day, it's not like mm. you need to get the help. Mm. And I think at this point, mm. like, I only want to share the things that a I'm comfortable about, which is why I haven't mm. been sharing as much recently. Um, mm. unless it's, it's, it's like I said, I'm a patient, I'm not a doctor, so I don't really want to share. Mm. Tips, but if I'm doing like an exposure for something current, that's fine. If mm. I want to like film it and share it to encourage, yes, but I'm mm. not going to be sitting here talking about like my OCD three years ago that I've like you know, gone past. I think that's where right. I had to like figure it out. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that sounds, that sounds a lot more. Um, it, it sounds to me like you're so much more kind of self-aware, I guess, than a lot of, at least what I was seeing when I was looking at that, that hashtag, um, yeah. that you're, you're very clear in terms of, um, just in terms of your, 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 just your self-awareness in terms of what, what sets you back and what moves you forward. Um, and I guess yeah. that's one of the ways we want to think about advocacy. It's supposed to move people forward, not keep them stuck where they are or send them back to where they were yeah. before. Well, I just wanted, I thought it was important to share, you know, how, how I was when I was younger to really mm. share how far I've come. But then I mm. realized it was just setting me back. Like I'm not yeah. that type of person that can do that. So now it's like, mm. okay, so like, what's really big in my life right now is like the manic stuff. Um, and it's like, okay, so like I'm rebuilding my life after a manic episode right now. Yes. That's very Mm -hmm. like current and stuff, but, Mm -hmm. um, like, so I'll talk maybe a little bit about that, but I'm not going to talk about like my OCD when I was 19, you know? So, right. Um, but yeah, yeah, just like because like, again, like when I got diagnosed as bipolar, like this year, like it was so like, my parents were like, should you tell people that? I was like, okay, <laughs> <laughs> like, well, guys, <laughs> it's like, whatever. <laughs> A valid question, but I mean, it's your, it's your question to answer because mm-hmm. it's your own experience. Yeah. Mm. Thanks, Calista. No, thank you. Um, Shivani, I think we've got you back. It looks like you're muted, but I want to open the floor for you if you're able to hop back in with us. Hi, sorry about that. Can you guys hear me okay now? Yes. We can hear you. Yes. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much to our audience for keeping the questions coming in. I mean, I think it's great. I heard some parts of that conversation, which is really nice. Um, Yeah, so I guess I can jump off with our next question then. I'm going to keep my camera off because I think turning it on is somehow making worse. So um, I'm still here, though, audio wise. Um, But yeah, so my next question to you, Calista, is what do you think constitutes digital well-being? I mean, it's a term that we have been throwing around a lot here today um, in terms of the intersection between, you know, using technology in a healthy way and then mental health. And so what really do you think digital well-being is? I think for me, you are probably on your phone, what, like eight hours a day? And you want to make sure it's like a good place to be on if you're spending that much time on there. I think it's unrealistic to say we're all going to throw our phones out and not be on our phones at all. I mean, we're living in 2022. Um, I think it's really about setting boundaries, though, and like having the willpower to set those boundaries. I don't think they're easy to set, especially as a teenage girl who's always being told to like better herself and to, um, you know, become this like that girl person and all of that. But I think at the end of the day, like for me, like I said, like I had to unfollow like a thousand people to get to where I want. I have to like, when I'm on TikTok, if I don't like a video, if it's triggering, I'll put on there. There's a little um, like button on TikTok where you can say like, this video isn't for me. Um, I think deleting apps that don't serve you, you know, if you go on Instagram and it doesn't make you feel good, if you're not a content creator, you don't have to be on there. Like there's no point in being on there. Um, and I think just really setting those boundaries of what 
you want. And also if you need like an accountability partner, like if your parents or if you have a friend that's going to make sure that you're being held accountable for those st- or boundaries, um, that's really important. Cause like I said, we're on our phones so much like you don't want it to be a bad place to be. Right. Yeah, of course. And you mentioned how specific kinds of content can be triggering. It's probably a very naive question, but um, what exactly do you mean by the word triggering? Like, what would that make you feel like? Um, I think for me, like whenever I see, cause like I said, like I've struggled with an eating disorder. Um, and I think when I look at content of like girls that are really tiny, like I've recovered, like I've gained weight back. Like, I don't want to see that type of content. Cause it makes me feel like I shouldn't eat. You know what I mean? Um, I think when I see that sort of content or when I see, um, people that I feel like serve to a point that like, like, let's say like, I see somebody's content that is like questioned the validity of my OCD in real life. Like that in new me, like that doesn't understand OCD. Then I don't want to see it. That's triggering, you know, things like that. Like you don't have to see, or even like interact with people you don't want to. So I think that's kind of where I mean by that. There's a lot of triggering content on the internet. Mm -hmm. It's just up to what that person is (laughs) triggering. Right. Yeah. And I I would assume there's almost this kind of scale of gravity when it comes to things that are triggering. Like there, there's like something that's very, that's something that induces insecurity in a very subtle way. Like, oh, um, you're looking at something and it makes you feel a little bit bad, but then there's all the way to something that will make you want to harm yourself. And so I definitely do think there's like a scale if it's Mm -hmm. informal, so so to say that, kind of define how we feel when we interact with different types of content. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah. I mean, I think like insecurity is just not a good feeling to feel. And if it's like, for me, like I'm a very extremist person. If I feel insecure, then I'm like, okay, well, let me run like three miles. Like, you know what I mean? It's just, it depends on the person and like what they um, deem to be that. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, And I'd love to actually switch some gears a little bit and turn back to talking a little bit about your personal um, growth on social media. And I was kind of curious as to how social media, like the monetization of social media, influences the way that creators create specific kinds of content. Are there specific types of content that you would gravitate towards creating because it's more, it's better for your image or it's better for your particular niche, things like that? Uh, I will say ever since I started making mental health content, a lot of brands don't want to work with me, which is very interesting because a lot of brands don't want to touch that realm because they don't want to do it wrong. Does that make sense? So yeah, uh, I see what you're saying. it's like hindered me in that sense, but like, I don't really care. Um, but the brands that do want to work with me, I appreciate them 10 times more because I feel like they want to like engage in that conversation. Um, I would say, so like, do you mean the brand deals, the creator fund? Like, what are you? Um, yeah. So I'm referring to more of the brand deals side of things. Yeah. So, um, most of my brand deals are beauty, fashion, and lifestyle based. Cause I'm, I'm, I'm working with Alta Beauty this year. I'm a part of their 2022 collective. So I do a lot of like beauty and fashion stuff. But then again, cool. like, it's interesting because like, I, I don't, feel like I wear a lot of makeup and like a lot of it just comes down to like self-acceptance videos and things like that, which, um, is, is really cool to like have brands like that, you know, contribute to, um, talking about and doing. And then I work with a lot of lifestyle brands. I've been trying to focus on working with more sustainable brands because I, I don't know if I'm just like in a moment, but I I've been learning a lot about the environment and overconsumption and all of that. And I just don't really know, you know, where I stand. (laughs) Um, and like, I really want to like start cutting back on things. So I've been working on like working with more sustainable brands. Um, so yeah. Awesome. That's great. Well, I'm glad that you're able to sort of come up with that balance between, you know, sharing what you really care about and sort of building almost a kind of a career off of it, which is really cool. Um, Yeah. You also mentioned that you are a mental health consultant. Um, I would love to hear a little bit more about what that side of your work is around. So that's very loosely. So like when I talk with like nonprofits, it's more so just like helping them with like TikToks and like how to like, I guess, start getting like more um, engagement on TikTok and getting like their messaging out versus like me telling them like, 
like getting on their account and like, does that make sense? So it's just more so. Yeah, like, for sure. Yeah. So it's very loose. I've only done it like a couple of times, but I put it on my LinkedIn. I was like, <laughs> <laughs> no, I told you want me to help you with your TikTok. I was like, I know graphic design. <laughs> awesome. Well, it's really cool. Um, well, those are all the questions that I had for you. And I think it was a really nice conversation, Calesta, to hear your perspective and how you share your story with other people and build your community. So thank you so much. Well, thank you. Yeah. Does anyone else in the audience have any more questions to add? Anything else they want to contribute? And then I see Jeffrey had a question, but I feel like we kind of answered that one. Maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, I think that was mostly answered, although it's interesting because the things you've been saying kind of uh, giving me this idea. We know that uh, social media platforms like Facebook are targeting us algorithmically with things that they think will lead us to stay on their platforms. And many yeah. of those things are by using uh, controversy or uh, things, very strong emotional messages. And it, it seems like kind of what you've been discussing is almost like how you can create a personal shield, sort of like an algorithm on your side that filters out the junk. So mm -hmm. it's sort of an interesting idea. I, I want to take that further somehow, but if you have any more thoughts on that, I think that'd be great. So like when you say that, like filtering out that content so you're not on there all day? Yeah, filtering out the stuff yeah. that isn't serving your needs and empowering you. Yeah, I mean, you I think talked about apps and things. Yeah, yeah. I think... Um, I think, I mean, they have like a lot of tools because a lot of companies are sitting here being like, oh, we're, we're focusing on digital well-being, but are they really, I don't know, that's controversial. Um, so I think like really trying to hone in on those tools, like I think you can even put like, like time blockers on specific apps, which is kind of interesting. Um, like weeding out the content you don't like, you can like block keywords. So like, if you don't want to see like steak, if you're like vegan, you don't want to see steak, you could put that in there and like, just put in a bunch of keywords and it will kind of filter it out. I find that a lot of my pages and my algorithms are really tailored towards me at this point, because I've blocked so many things out. Um, and really just going through like who you're friends with, who you're following, things like that. And like, Honestly, like, I don't think we were built to have so much connection to so many people. I've heard this discussion a lot of times. So therefore, like, I don't even like I follow 300 people out of respect to the people I know, but I'm like, I don't even feel like it's mentally like I'm supposed to know this many people, you know what I mean? Like, um, so yeah, I just, I think really like diving into the tools and trying to set those boundaries would be the best way to go. But I think you know, we'll see a lot more in the future of how they're going to dive into digital well-being. Um, I, I want to jump in. Callista and Shivani, thank you for taking us through such an incredible conversation. I mean, I feel like we set the bar really high. Um, Callista, when you opened with, I'm not worried about being relevant. I just want to be myself. And I think that is something that you know, when you, when you look at what you're creating online and when you listen to this conversation that um, the two of you have just had, mm -hmm. clearly it takes so much work and so much effort. And I know you've been, you, you mentioned, you've been working on, on your, on some of these things since you were 10 and, and I never expected to go this route. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this was not the route I intended on, but life takes you places. <laughs> Life takes you places, but I think you're creating dialogue and you're creating community and, and you're really, you're, you're filling a conversation that is so important. And I'm very confident to say that you're changing people's lives for the better, being that patient advocate, sharing your story, sharing your narrative. Um, so huge thank you for doing that every day and for coming here and talking about that with us. Um, Shivani, thank you so much for being such a sport through a couple of tech glitches. You absolutely led this conversation um, and I'm so excited to hear the final podcast when you pull it all together. I'm gonna make sure we will share it with all of you. It'll be in our newsletter. So we will also share it with everybody and really just um, I encourage each of you who came here and got to be part of the live taping to share it with two or three of your of your friends, share it with a couple of family members, 
Um, I kind of think of things in these family and friends rounds, but I just, I think that this was such a com such an important conversation and sort of telling people you were here, you got to hear it live, please listen, um, is also a big part of that. So thank you so much, Calista, Shivani, Susan. Yeah, I, don't know Sam, I, I, want, I want to jump in with a minute because, um, you know, I, I'm just coming off the heels of speaking to Newton Public Schools, to the social workers um, and teachers there. And actually, Calista, I, I give these tips all the time and huge new focus around TikTok and, and what they can support. But um, but the power of this is, Sam, is, is I think we go to the state house, we go to the California state house on Tuesday um, and actually we'll be there um, in the Judiciary Committee meeting for the Social Media Platform Duty to Children Act, um, which will allow parents of children that have been harmed by uh, social media to sue. But Calista, I mean, they're looking for your stories. I mean, I'm going to take a piece of this and, and send it off. And I think being in this space and those of us who have been in this space for quite a while, this is a turning point moment where we really like your voices, in my opinion, have always been important. But Sam and I have been inundated for youth voices. And I'm just really confident. Um, that we're going to be able to, to make a shift here. And it, it really is, Shivani and Calista, your voices and your experience and your perspectives on what to do, which, I mean, I'm an older generation. Um, my generation doesn't know. Um, and um, so I'm just so grateful for you being here today. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, thank you, everyone. Yeah, thank you guys so much. And I just wanted to jump in and say thank you to Calista and all of our audience here for your wonderful questions and the wonderful discussion we were able to have. And it was really wonderful meeting you guys. Yes, thank you, everyone. It was so amazing being here and hearing everyone's questions. And I hope I gave some insight. <laughs> Lots of insight. <laughs> Lots of insight, Calista. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. I hope you have a great afternoon, evening, depending on what time zone you're in. <laughs> Be on the lookout for the podcast. Bye, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you.